come to worship the one true God together. Let's look at Galatians chapter 2 as our call to worship. Paul writes, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. May this be our song this morning as we lift our praise to God. We're gonna teach you this new song titled Back to Life. I encourage you to take it in and worship with us this morning. Stand with us. Let's sing this together. I won't forget the moment I heard you call my name out of the grip of darkness into the light of grace. Just like a
Amen. You may be seated. Our family really loves Operation Christmas Child because it's a way for us to partner globally with the opportunity to spread the gospel and even have the opportunity to take that to unreached people groups. This really gives me a chance to have a tool in our home that then begins to teach the story, even with my kid, about how the gospel story unfolds, about what Jesus has done for us and how that is the greatest gift we can have. So for us, we gather items year round. It's not one big shopping trip right before the holiday season. For us, it's gathering things year round and just trying to understand like generosity and that concept is something that's an everyday concept, especially for a little kid and all the time conversation about everyday things instead of kind of just focusing it on one time of year. I use the time to practice regular skills like sorting and colors and counting. But even in that, we just talk about the big concept that this box is for someone else, so it's a gift, and that this box helps other people learn about Jesus. The final thing we do with our boxes is we just pray over them. So in Matthew, Jesus clearly commands us to make disciples of all nations. And so I love OCC because it really takes this three-prong approach that captures what we do here and what we talk about here, and that is evangelism, discipleship, and multiplication. So kids, before they get a box, hear about the greatest gift, Jesus, and the gospel story. And then they receive a box as an example of that gift. And then they're invited back for a 12-week discipleship program. And the multiplication part comes in because they go home and they talk about what they've learned and their parents, their neighbors, and those who they live with begin to learn about the story of Jesus as well. My number one goal as a mom for my kid is to raise a kind-hearted kid who loves others and follows Jesus. Operation Christmas Child and this Chewbox tool gives us a chance to just begin to cultivate that at an early age. And I hope that as an adult, he's someone who loves others, who wants to spread the gospel, who understands generosity in a way of small practical things from a dollar store to big donations to an organization that is reaching unreached people throughout the world. Fellowship, we want to be a church that not only sees the gospel spread in Northwest Arkansas, but also the world. And one of the simplest ways to do that is through grabbing one of these boxes and, bring it, and filling it full and bringing it back. With every one of these boxes is a gospel story presentation, like Keisha said on the video. And it's a great thing to do with your families. We encourage you to do that and bring the box back before or on September, or I'm sorry, November 21st. So but please think about doing that. If you're new this morning, we love connecting with new people. We wanna get you connected here at Fellowship and answer any questions you have. And you can stop by the booth in the middle of the foyer. You can scan the QR code, fill out the information. We'll follow up with you. We would love the opportunity to connect with you and get you connected here at Fellowship. Our Fellowship Legacy Ministry has two things going on that I wanna tell you about. Now, whether you qualify for that ministry or not, I'm gonna let you decide. That is for our more mature audience here at Fellowship. It's a self-selecting ministry, so you get to decide. We're not gonna decide whether you go or not. But the first thing going on is this Sunday night, um, they have a, a Ozark Revival Quartet, so a night of worship. Um, actually, all ages are invited, but the Legacy Ministry is putting that on, but it's in the chapel uh, at 7 p.m. And then next Sunday, they will have their monthly gathering across the foyer in the Family Center Auditorium, and we'd love to have you join us for that if that interests you. We said uh, a while back that our first Sunday in Bentonville is February 27th, uh, 2022, and we're very excited about that 
But in order to plan, we need you to fill out that Bentonville survey. So both folks staying here, folks going to Bentonville, um, if you would, you, you should have got an email or, or you can scan this QR code, but just fill out the survey. It's just a few questions. Just for planning purposes, we need to know how to plan and who's going to be where. Hey, this morning we are in for a treat. Not a trick, but a treat. And uh, we've got Dr. Yarborough with us from Dallas Theological Seminary. He's actually the president there. And so we're really excited to have him. Uh, yesterday, he did a First Timothy conference. And today, he's stepping into our teaching rotation and, and uh, teaching the, the passage today that, that he's going to do. And we're just glad to have him. We're, they also have a booth in the foyer if you're interested in, in the seminary. And it's not just for people who are on staff at churches, actually. They do an incredible job and have lots of options. And so stop by the booth, talk to them. They would love to visit with you about that. Uh, and they'll be there after the service today. This Thursday is Veterans Day, and we love our veterans here at Fellowship, and we just appreciate you so much. And so if you're active duty right now or you've served in the military in the past, would you stand up and just let us say thank you for your service? Yeah, let's tell them thank you. Part of the reason that we get to worship the way we do today is because of what you've done, and we're so grateful for you. Will you join me as I uh, kick off our service this morning with a word of prayer? Lord, we're so grateful that we get to gather here, and we have the freedom to gather here. Lord, we ask that you would be with us, you would teach us through your word, through the Holy Spirit. Lord, we recognize you as holy, and uh, we want to learn from you. Would you clear our hearts and our minds this morning? Would you help us to walk out of this place and be changed people, ready to take on the week and whatever it has to offer? Lord, give us a moment just to be at peace and to be with you. Would you stand with us once again and let's look at Lamentations chapter 5, verse 21. A good spiritual practice is as you read the word of God, as you see something that just jumps out and leaps off the page, to just make that a prayer. And this is one of those passages that someone in a very similar position to me on a stage was leading me through this prayer. The prophet Jeremiah wrote this in Lamentations 5. It was a prayer for the people of Israel. And it was simply this, God, restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return renew our days as of old as we just sang the resurrection power of our savior the one who has brought us out of death into new life may this be our prayer this morning so would you say this prayer with me restore us to yourself lord that we may return and renew our days as of old so maybe you've come into this place just struggling with facing the persecution of the world in front, or maybe you found yourself wandering far from his grace. May our prayer be that God's goodness like a fetter would bind our wandering heart to him. So let's say this prayer one more time together to the Lord. Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old. Let's sing of his goodness and his majesty together.
Make this our prayer this morning. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart.
Let's continue to sing of our identity and our inheritance in Christ. I belong to Christ my King. I belong to Him. Drawn by His kindness, found in His love, I belong to Christ. Don't satisfy power and pleasures that always run dry, but I belong to Christ. I don't belong to opinions, value defined by this world, approval and praise that change everything. Yeah. 
sing that one more time. We belong to Christ. I belong to Christ, my King. I belong to Him. Drawn by His kindness, found in His love. may we never grow weary of that truth. That if we are children of God, we acknowledge that we belong to him. That we are servants of the master, the one true God who knows what is best for us and who promises joy in his presence. So God, we humble ourselves before your word this morning. God, would you teach us to trust and walk by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good morning, church. It is so good to see you. Do you feel rested? They always say that. It just doesn't work, does it? I mean, you know, but hey. Hey, good to see you today. I do bring you greetings from Dallas Seminary. It's always an honor. I want you to know that in terms of the school, we just love everything about Fellowship Bible Church, Northwest Arkansas. It's a pleasure to... uh, get to partner with you, and it's a personal pleasure for me to be able to be here today. When Mickey called a few months ago and he said, hey, uh, we're doing this fabulous series, and I want you to join us. And I was like, great, what's the topic? And there was this pause, and then I heard this. Okay, it kind of took me by surprise, you know, I heard that, and so I kind of panicked on the phone just for a minute as I'm talking with him, and I'm like, what? And then I heard this. Okay, now I am not the sharpest knife in the drawer, okay? But it didn't take me long to figure out on this storyline of 1 Timothy, we were going to be talking about money. Now I said, so you want me to talk about money? And he said, Well, not specifically. (laughs) I want you to actually talk about heresy and greed. Great. You know, nothing like being the guest speaker, right? When you come in, it's like, hey, I want you to talk about heresy and heretics and greed and how we handle our money. Uh, I tell you what, as I jumped into the passage that we are going to study this morning and look at, wow, has it been convicting on my life. I want to tell you something on the very front end as we get started, other than just it's an honor to be with you, which it is. But I fell in love with a couple of commentaries and some guys that worked through this passage in a powerful way, some guys by the name of Howard Marshall, strong New Testament scholar, and William Mounts. And I am always appreciative of the work of others that help us get insight into the text. I also want to give... Great thanks for an individual by the name of Colin Smith who worked through this passage and and gave some some very valuable wording along the way as I studied this passage. And and, uh, it is just an absolute uh, honor to uh, be here and to work through it with you. But I want you to hear me say on the very front end of this, this is kind of a a heavy text today. It came after me and it's likely going to come after you. 
And the reason that I say that is because it's going to get very personal to us. This message today has two very distinct parts to it. Part number one in our text that we're going to deal with today in 1 Timothy is that it, it's going to talk to those who have very little. The second part of our time together is going to talk to those who have much, little, and much. Or let me rephrase that. There's something that the text says to us today for those who have less, and there's something in the text today that talks to those that have more. Now, what's fascinating to me is that what I have just done when I've said that, every one of you in the room and everybody that's on the live stream, we've just very naturally placed ourselves in one category or the other. And here's what we're going to have to do today. We're going to need to stand in both. The text comes after us today. This is not one of those either or messages, but it is both and. Because however much you have, there are those who have more unless your last name is Musk, Bezos, or Gates. However little you have, listen, there are billions on the planet that have less. And so what we're going to have to do today is we are going to have to stand in both positions. Every one of us needs to stand in the position of what it means to have less and to wrestle with what the text says to us there. And every one of us needs to stand in the position of what it means to have more. And whether right now at this moment we have little or a lot, godliness which is the God-centered life that we've been talking about in the study of 1 Timothy. That godliness, it leads us somewhere in regard to our finances. Godliness leads us to a certain perspective and it produces something if we let it. So, the first thing that I want us to see is that when we have little. Godliness with contentment leads to great gain. When we have little, godliness with contentment, it leads us to great gain. Let's look at the passage in the text, if you have your Bibles, and the words are going to be provided for you. But in 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting in at verse 6, all the way through 10, the text reads this. Paul says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And those who want to get rich fall into temptation 
and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Okay, hold on tight, friends. This is pretty confrontational for us because Paul starts off this discussion for those who have less. And he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So godliness as a God-centered life, that's my working definition of what godliness is, it does not come through a process, but it comes through a person. And that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. So it means that as believers, that Jesus is the mystery of godliness when we see who he is and he is more active and present in our life on a daily basis. When we are walking with him, the presence of Jesus in us is what produces godliness. Paul uses this right here at the beginning of verse 6, doesn't he? And he says, but godliness with contentment. Godliness, when it's butted up against contentment, when these are working together, it produces great gain. I'm going to shoot straight with you. Contentment is hard, right? Anybody want to say it with me? Contentment is hard. Raise your hand if you think sometimes contentment is hard. And the rest of you are just lying at church. (laughs) Contentment doesn't come naturally to us, does it? No, it doesn't. I can remember as a kid, I had a bike. (laughs) And it was a huffy bike. It was fabulous. There wasn't anything wrong with my bike until I saw somebody else that had a mongoose. And then I thought, I need that mongoose. And I found out how much that thing cost. And I went back and I was like, there's no way I can do it. Do you know what I did? I actually went back to my house. I saved up a whole bunch of money. I couldn't afford the bike, but I could afford pieces of the bike. And so I got those pieces and I put pads on my bike and I put fenders on my bike that came out of that and I thought everything was great until I went back over to my friends that had a mongoose and they looked at my bike and they just died laughing listen to this I ruined what I had to try to have something that did not ultimately exist for me play that out in a thousand ways in our lives contentment listen to this friends is the ability to find joy in what God has given us, not in what he has not. You see, contentment, friends, is the opposite of greed. Martin Luther phrased it this way. The problem with greed is that it robs you of the capacity to enjoy What has been given you. And then you're never satisfied with what you have. Hmm. Contentment, friends, does not come naturally. But it can be learned. 
If you're familiar with your New Testament, you realize that the Apostle Paul talks about this in other passages, doesn't he? You're familiar with this one in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. Look at what it says. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. How about this? When Paul wrote that in Philippians chapter 4, he was in prison for the sake of the gospel. Here's what I've learned through the years and what you actually know. Not only is contentment something that actually can be learned, but listen to this. We often learn contentment when we have less or when God takes something away. Jeremiah Burroughs in a book that I was unfamiliar with until studying for our time here together, a a book that is entitled The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. Isn't that a great name for a book? The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. It was written in 1648. Here's what he says. A Christian comes to contentment not so much by way of addition, but by way of subtraction. A Christian comes to contentment not so much by way of addition, but by way of subtraction. In other words, contentment does not come by adding to what you have, but by subtracting from what you desire. Burroughs goes on to say, the world says you will find contentment when your possessions rise to the level of your desires. Friends, that's called marketing. Don't let the world teach you theology. Scripture says just the opposite. It says, be satisfied with what God has provided for you. Burroughs reminds us that our goal is to bring our desires down to the level of our possessions. You see, friends, as we've studied through 1 Timothy, that was one of the many problems of these false teachers. As a matter of fact, if you're following in the large text, here's what it says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, the passage that led right up to ours. Look at what it says. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in the controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, and malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind, listen to this, who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. One of the problems with these false teachers is that they were warped with how to think about finances. You see, friends, Paul is leading us somewhere here. He says that godly contentment is great gain. Well, why is it so important if he says 
Godliness with contentment is great gain. It leads us somewhere. It produces great gain. The question that we should all be asking is, what great gain does it produce? Colin Smith phrases it this way, very helpful. He says this, if getting rich is your goal, there are five things that you need to remember. And it's right here in the text. Look at what it says. Number one, if getting rich is your goal, remember it's foolishness. Why? Because you cannot keep what you have gained. How long does it take me to remember that you may get rich, but you cannot stay rich? No individual can. Look at verse 7. That's what Paul goes after. He makes it crystal clear. For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. I heard that years ago. You never see a U-Haul trailer behind a hearse. You can't take it out. You can earn it here, and you can have big giant piles, but it cannot go with you. So you're striving for something that you can't keep. It's foolishness. Number two. When you strive after, and it's your quest to get rich, you forget the bounty of basic provision. Look at what he says in verse 8. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Friends, if you fail and I fail to remember how God has provided for us, please take a trip with me. I will take you to places on the planet where you and I, Every day, if you have basic food and you have multiple changes of clothes and you have a roof over your head, you are a king and queen on planet earth. And Paul says, when you're chasing after riches, you forget that you're actually a king and a queen. How about this? Number three, he says, you will encounter powerful temptation. Look at verse nine. He says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. How many of us in moments in our life where we've been chasing after riches, we all say, amen, been there on that one, brother. It's led me down a path. It's not where the Lord wants me to go. Number four, it actually says that you may wander from the faith. Number five, it says you will experience many griefs. Look, look at what verse 10 says. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say that money is a root of all. It says the love of it, the quest for it, the passion for it. It says some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So here's in essence what the text is telling us. Five reasons for not setting your heart as a quest for money is this. Money is a wonderful servant, but it is a terrible master. Money is a wonderful servant, but it's a terrible master. That's why godliness with contentment, it leads to great gain. Why? It's because it delivers us from those five things. When we get caught up with that as our quest, we generally fall into those areas. 
So when you have less, learn the art of contentment. Appreciate what God has given you, not what he has not. When we have little, godliness with contentment, it leads to great gain. But what about when we have much? If the text talks to us about when we have little, what about when we have much? If we are to be content over here in these moments, in these seasons, what about in seasons when we have great bounty? What about when we have much? I'm about to say something that you're going to say, Mark, it sounds contradictory, but listen close. When we have much, godliness with discontentment, it leads to treasure in eternity. When we have much, godliness with discontentment leads to treasure in eternity. Jump over to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, or look at the words on the screen. It says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. You see, friends, when we have much godliness with discontentment leads to treasure in eternity. Scripture always goes just the opposite of the way of the world. You and I as believers are called to remember that our hope of a better life is not in our possession, the stuff of earth. All that does is it competes for our allegiance. But as God gives more, it becomes important for us to become discontent with the things of this world. Burroughs went on to say, it may be said of one who is contented in a Christian way that he is both the most contented man in the world and yet the most dissatisfied man in the world. Why? Because the godly heart can never be satisfied with the things of this world. Colin Smith phrased it this way. The less you have, the more important it is to be content. And the more you have, the more critical it is to be utterly dissatisfied with the things of this world. Christian contentment cuts both ways. 
See, friends, Scripture speaks an awful lot about this outside of this passage right here, I promise. (laughs) The Bible talks an awful lot about our finances, and you're keenly aware of that. In Luke chapter 12, starting in at verse 16, Jesus himself, when he was in a dialogue with others about the stuff of earth, listen to this parable that he said to those who were listening. He said, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store up my surplus grain. I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for yourself. For many years, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. You know where this story goes. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared for for someone else. And that's where we normally end the story. Listen to what Jesus says in the final verse. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Wow. Friends, that's why in verse 19 of our passage, the text says this. Listen, it all starts to sound similar. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That is what is ours if we take what God has given us and we use it for his glory. It's not for us. Oh, we may get to enjoy it, but ultimately it has been given to us for God's glory, not for ours. Or maybe there's another passage that you are much more familiar with In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said this on another occasion. Would you please read this passage of Scripture with me? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Pause. Friends, we know this to be true. Say it. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, friends, when we have much, when we have much, Godliness with discontentment leads to treasure in eternity. I was reading a book years ago, and I stumbled across this particular part of it. It was a book written by James Dobson. And he tells this story about engaging a particular game with his kids when they were teenagers. Just listen. When my daughter, Danae, was a teenager... She came home one day and said, hey, Dad, there's a great new game out. I think you're going to like it. It's called Monopoly. (laughs) 
I just smiled. We gathered the family together and we set up the board. It didn't take the kids long to figure out that old dad had played this game before. I soon owned all the best properties, including the boardwalk, the park place. I even owned the Baltic and the Mediterranean. My kids were squirming, and I was loving every minute of it. About midnight, <laughs> I foreclosed on the last property, and I did a little victory dance. My family was not impressed. They went to bed, and they made me put the game away. As I began putting all of my money back in the box, a very empty feeling came over me. Everything that I had accumulated was gone. The excitement over riches was just an illusion. And then it occurred to me, hey, this isn't just the game of Monopoly that has caught my attention. This is the game of life. You sweat and you strain to get ahead. But then one day, after a little chest pain or a wrong change of lanes on the freeway, the game ends. It all goes back in the box. You leave this world just as naked as the day that you came into it. I once saw a bumper sticker that proclaimed, he who dies with the most toys wins. That is so wrong. It should say, he who dies with the most toys dies anyway. You see, friends, in times of little, we need to learn the art of contentment. There's great gain in doing so. In times of much, I think we need to grow in our dissatisfaction, in our discontentment, because the stuff of earth, oh, we may get to enjoy it temporarily, but ultimately, God has given us finances and material wealth, and he has blessed us so that we can take it to be a blessing for others. And so, friends, I think I can have us say this statement together because I think in many ways it's the heartbeat of the text. I'm going to ask you to repeat it with me. I'm grateful for what I have. I'm grateful. I'm satisfied with what I earn. I'm generous to those in need. Even with a little or a lot. Dear friends, eternity is just a final heartbeat away. May we fight for godliness and see how it even impacts our finances so that when we get to the other side, we have no regrets. I don't want to stand before God. And he said, Mark, I gave you so much. Why did you use it for me so little? 
Dear Lord, thank you for your incredible grace and patience with us. This text is so convicting. I know that with my sisters and brothers right here in this room, there have been seasons in our life, I know it's true of me, where I've not been content with what you have provided. And Lord, when I do that, I fail to realize that you have blessed me with great bounty, and I know that is true of everyone in this room. Help us to not be satisfied with the stuff of this earth, that you have given it to us to use for your glory. Help us to readjust and realign whatever we need to in our own lives to check our hearts. Take what you've given us and to, to give it away for your glory. Lord, help us when it's all said and done that our last check bounces because <laughs> we've gone out swinging to take what you have blessed us with to invest it in what really counts that there will be treasures waiting in eternity of, of people that we have been able to help and assist and, and to promote the gospel, that lives would be changed. And Lord, I thank you for a church like this that does that. May we do that individually in our own walk and in our own lives, not for our own glory, but for yours. We pray these things in Jesus' powerful name. And all of God's people said, amen. Fellowship, will you tell Dr. Yarbrough thank you for being with us? Thank you. Now, he, he's the president of the seminary I'm attending. I'm, I'm attending my last class, so maybe while I've got you up here with all these witnesses, I'm a little behind in my coursework. Could you help me out? Let, let us pray. <laughs> thank you so much again. Hey, to my left, your right, we've got the prayer room, and if, you, if something stirred in your heart this morning, you want to process with somebody, the Thompsons are in there, they would love to pray with you. And also, just a reminder, Dallas Theological Seminary has a booth in the foyer, if you want to process that with somebody, they would love to process that with you. Hey, will you stand as I close this this morning? An appropriate benediction for us, maybe to continue to set our hearts right for this week, is... Uh, Ephesians, the end of chapter three, it says, and to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us, to him be the glory in the church, hopefully this church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, now and forever. And God's people said, amen. God bless you, fellowship. Have a great week. <laughs>